Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Ryan Siegler. How's it going, buddy? Buddy, one of these. Clinkies, clinkies. Okay, Sun Crush, Southern Peach here on this end. What about you tonight? A little Hardywood single. Oh, classic. Yeah. Hey, look at us supporting the RVA breweries, bud. There we go. Brian, um, you had a vacation this weekend, buddy. How was the lake? Yeah, I had I headed down to uh, the Bugs Island, Kerr Lake area, out of a cabin with some some neighbors. Did a little fishing. Did a little uh, little this, little that. Caught caught a few. Caught a few. Very nice. I, I caught the most. I didn't catch the biggest, but I caught the most. <laughs> Going for quantity, not quality here. Yes, when it comes to fish, yes, quantity over quality. You can, <laughs> you, can, you can catch the nice prize bass, but that feeds one person. You catch ten, you're feeding the entire family. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Nice, How about you, buddy? How was your July uh, <laughs> weekend? Oh, jeezy. Uh, well, we were going to try to go down and uh, see some family um, on Friday, but on Wednesday night, my wonderful wife gets this email from her school. You must have your rooms cleaned out by next Monday. Huh? So <laughs> it's kind of like, she's like, when can you get off? I'm like, well, I'm off Friday, so let's just go. I'll tell the folks, hey, can't come down. Sorry, we got to get this done clearly because <laughs> she does not want all her stuff going into a storage trailer. So that was pretty much all day Friday. Um, wife's family came over Saturday, grilled some burgers, some Wuhan hot dogs. There you go. Bloody yeah. that like massive hot dogs. Uh, had some drinks, just chilled, and from our house, watched fireworks on two streets over from us and over in another neighborhood over. So didn't even have to leave the crib. There you it go. I mean, it was a good, nice, somewhat relaxing weekend. Yeah, we were able to catch some uh, fireworks. They were shooting them off a couple of boats. <laughs> oh, nice. Right That's in the little nice. part of the lake we were in, they were shooting them off boats. So I was like, yeah, this, this will work. So we were up in the Florida room of the cabin watching fireworks. That's that's good, man. I mean, it's always nice to see it. It's, the cool part is where Jack's bedroom is at the house. He literally has this per. He's literally like there. He could see the ones in the neighborhood. Here he could see the ones in the other neighborhood. So he was like back and forth between the windows, like so he was pumped on a on a Saturday, late Saturday night. So yeah. Well, folks, hope your fourth was great too. Um, Hope you uh, had plenty of food, adult beverages, and a good time, whatever you did. But today, we're going to be taking an in-depth look at Protecting Lane Stadium. We're going to be looking at the four teams that visit Lane this season. So before we jump into all that, though, there has been a lot of news since the last time we were on here. And uh, the biggest was this weekend, while my partner in crime here had no cell service down at the lake, we got some. Yes, sir. Sir, DJ Harvey, the four-star cornerback out of Sierra Canyon High School in California, commits. And... Came kind of out of nowhere. Just all of a sudden, people were like, "He he 
pulled it up and it was like, I'm announcing on the fourth, and it's just like, what? Whoa, wait a second. <laughs> a lot of people had favored him like to come to tech, but he initially, if you remember, Brian, he was gonna announce in September, like yeah. the week after Penn State. We all felt good about that, but then this happens. And uh now let me ask you, because you kind of came into it a little late when you saw it. What was your first reaction? So I went down to the lake. I think I left. It was like, I, so I went to my parents on um, Thursday and then stayed there Friday. And then early Saturday morning, we headed to the lake. So I was without cell phone service, being able to text, call anything for <laughs> 36 hours and the only reason I knew about it is because I made a run to McDonald's to get some uh, some Sundays for for everybody and all of a sudden I I get this like barrage of text messages saying Curtis was like we got a big one oh who is it (laughs) and I saw it was Harvey I was like okay okay yeah that's good it would have been nice to be unexpected but it's nice getting getting that commitment now versus waiting until September because you never know what can happen between now and then. Absolutely. You really don't. But to have him essentially in the boat is a great thing. And I mean, you take a look at him overall. I mean, I mean, by two, four, seven, four star, uh, top two fifty player, essentially he's two forty six, So he's in the top two, four, seven, um, the number 18 cornerback, uh, top 25 in California, plethora of offers, Brian, Auburn, um, LSU, Nebraska, Notre Dame, Oregon, Texas, USC. So essentially he is a nationwide recruit. Um, I know you've looked at a little tape on him. What do you, what do you, I mean, is, is he that boundary corner? Does he have that skill set? Yeah, he's definitely got that skill set. And, and what I like about him, I mean, I know we've, we've been hammering this home, but you know, versatility. I think this is a guy that might end up, you know, D Hall style, maybe playing playing both ways in certain Ooh. sense because he's got a lot of offensive talent as well. But he's going to be a guy that can lock you up on defense at the corner spot. So I like him definitely playing there, playing outside. Um, and I think he's going to be a guy that probably slides into maybe not right away into Farley's role when, when he leaves, but probably slipping into Waller's spot first and then maybe maybe sliding over after the fact so um i'm really really high on dj harvey i'm really pumped that he's in the boat same here man um you know not only was it you know a big four star to get but it's one of those things with the midnight madness that we did right before all the covid stuff broke it pays off um also some people questioning should we be recruiting all over the country again this is one of those things the other guys who committed and decommitted, that still proves that we can get guys to commit from not our normal recruiting footprint. And you have to take those chances. Now, Brian, um, great, we've got Harvey. But some other news popped up just a few days ago. Not one, but two additional recruiting positions have been posted, which – um me and you probably feel the same way. If they've been posted, we probably already got the hire. It's just one of those. Yeah, we, we, we got to put it on the website just so, you know, you jump through the state of Virginia hoops <laughs> that are necessary. Um, I'm sure they already have this lined up. Um, I'm sure they probably 
had several guys that they were looking at yeah. and then whittled down from there um, before, you know, I don't think that's necessarily something that they were going to throw an outside hire um, out there. I think they probably already had some guys that either had this position at other schools or had been doing some other type of work for the for Virginia Tech. And now they're moving into this more focused role um, on, on staff. So I think that's going to be big, big for recruiting going forward. Obviously, I think we we still need to do more in this yep. area, but getting this, especially considering everything going on with COVID and the budgets and all that stuff, the fact that we were able to still move on this is pretty big. That that does speak some some to our working within our budget. Yeah, um, you know, it it, def, it definitely says that we're doing a, a lot with a little from that perspective. So I like that, and I like the way we're. Um, positioning ourselves to get better in this area because we definitely of, of all the areas we have recruiting is definitely the one we need to get better in 100 percent. and if you take a look at the position titles um let's kind of talk through them for a second um the first because we already have this position on staff or a essentially a higher tier as an assistant director of player personnel football um what do you foresee that being? Because clearly you've got um, Pearson Prelu is um, one of the directors. Um, is this just another helping hand for him, or is this you think it's going to be a little bit more? Um, probably it's going to be more of a helping hand, I think, initially, just to, to manage the workload and to kind of be more the bug in the ear of the recruits and, and talking things through and, and looking at some of the film um, that – is just there's just a lot out there and I think you know when you're looking for system fits and I think that that's where our recruiting has started moving towards is you know guys that fit what we're trying to do not just the biggest name on the board um things like this are going to be key so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do with these all right now the other one more interesting title assistant director of on-campus recruiting football to me I hear that that sounds like when there's those big weekends, we are now going to have someone who's going to be in charge of that. Is, is that what you hear that as? That's exactly what I hear that as. That that this is no longer is uh, Yetzi, you know, running the recruiting uh, blueprint along with running all of these uh, weekend festivities or you know junior days or or any of that stuff. Um, this is going to be someone that is dedicated to setting those up, making sure that everyone is where they need to be, that each recruit gets time with the specific coaches that they're looking to get. I th- you know, it, all that needs to be set up and run, and it doesn't need to be done by our director of recruiting. It needs to be done by someone in this role, and I think that's going to be good to kind of offload some of the the workload and have a more focused um, position for that type of uh, activity. Yeah, that's also the one uh, you feel like it's so important because when you're when you have these guys in, you want to be hitting what they want to do. They want to see their major. They want to see their coach. But also, I think that's the one that potentially could be a former player. And I mean, who knows who it could be? And the reason I say that, because it's the on campus recruiting visits or on campus recruiting. And if you talk about someone who's been there, whether they were there 10 years ago or just in the last few years, it kind of makes it easy to, oh, oh, this kid is, you know, he is, he's looking to major in this. So the building's here, offices are here, where he'll probably live here. Let me set how this up. 
Yeah. Coordination perfect. Someone who knows the campus. Now, is it going to be a big name player? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I think us as fans hope it is someone like name recognizable. I'll throw his name out there because he is now living in Blacksburg. Sergio Render. Yeah. Sergio Render, A, you can't miss him. He's six. six. He is a massive human being. Um, He loves the school. He has not only so much knowledge of the on-campus stuff, but Sergio, big-time outdoorsman, big-time in the area in general. Um, Would I be shocked if in a couple weeks we would like to announce her? Nope, not at all. (laughs) Other positions? Maybe it's another Hokie, or maybe it's someone trying to get their foot in the door of coaching. Um, and again, this is a great starting role. It's great for the program. Yeah, I mean, and with the other role, if it's not someone like Sergio, I mean, do you think it could be someone more football adjacent, but, you know, a Hokie grad versus someone that was directly involved with the football program? Uh, very potentially. I, I think that could be the case as well. Um, it, it definitely could be someone, again, who knows campus, knows the local culture, knows how to get the students around on campus while they're there visiting to make mom and dad feel assured to say, hey, you'll live here. Your classes will be here. Here's the football facilities. And almost one of those things, hey, it's easy to set up a meeting with the coaches if you're on the staff. Hey, Coach Chabetz, we've got the tight end coming out of South Carolina. Um, what time do you want to pencil him in? I'll bring him, you know, so he knows what time to come to your offices after we give him a tour or something. So, yeah, it could be just a regular student. Um, but there's a part of me that wants it to be a player because then you have that further connection while the kid's on campus. Like, I played here. I ran through that tunnel. I gave my blood, sweat, and tears on that field. This place, when it's electric, you will get goosebumps. You will shake. So I, I'm, I'm hoping it's a player. But, you know, either way, we should be happy. We're getting more recruiting positions that we are definitely lacking behind on. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's, it's definitely a good good moving forward on that because, you know, we can definitely see improvement. Even though I think we're going to be all right this cycle after a rough last cycle and a rough April and in, uh, in May, I think we're going to, you know, turn things around here. We're starting to look better. Yeah, we are. Um, and we're starting to get more in-state guys, which I think is you know, increasing um, yeah. some of the perception. You know, decrease, I should say decreasing some of the perception issues we've been having from that perspective. So I think we're moving in the right direction. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll keep it up and that these new hires will make that even better. 100%, man. All right. Well, a little fun before we hit a couple more serious topics here. Brian, did you see the video? Oh, we, got, we, got, we got freshmen, huh? Freshmen. On campus, all but one. All but one. Um, awesome to see. You know, nice little thing the uh, the football Twitter feed put out with all the guys. You know, you know, basically saying they're here. Um, saw some tweets. Uh, if you didn't see, like the guys with the dots, guys leaving, making it known they were heading to Blacksburg. Um, the only one not there is Wilfred Panay, who is, to my knowledge, still. Stuck in France. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I, I hope that something can be arranged for that young man to get back stateside to begin not only his football career, but to further his academic career, too. Um, especially you kind of read about him making 
you know, all those sacrifices to come over and play and then to get recruited and to get offered numerous scholarships. Um, but they're back. And I'm sure the first thing they did was get a nice little throat swab, make sure they don't have any COVID. <laughs> um, but it's also awesome. hey, welcome to campus. Here's your dorm key and open your mouth for the swab. There we go. Now, don't go anywhere for 48 hours while we confirm your negative, please. And thank you. All right. Well, Brian, there's been some other news. Let's kind of pivot away from the Hokie Nation and let's pivot to some news that broke last week. Um, Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M penalized for NCAA violations. He got a show cause penalty. Um, basically, violated the rules related between January 2018 and February 2019. Um, quite a few things there going on. They're getting the six-month show cause for Jimbo Fisher. There's been a few other things, too, like they're essentially not going to be able to recruit in the fall, which, you know, the way things are going, it, is that even going to matter? Hopefully, yeah. hopefully the NCAA nuts up and says – uh, yeah, that's going to be extended to next fall since we're in a dead period right now. But it's, I would hope so, especially yeah. considering the fine was a joke. <laughs> the fine was an absolute joke. Uh, um, fine. Let me see if what I. What was the stats? I saw something about like he makes that. Yeah. Five thousand dollars. That's not even like the quarter of a percent of what they take in revenue-wise. What bullshit. I saw, I can't remember who posted, but someone was like, yeah, that's like 0.25% of his annual salary or something like that. Like, you know, he makes that in like eight hours or something. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is nothing. And the show causes basically, um, like basically he can't like text or email or anything with the recruits. But again, if, if the kind of the staff's being punished like that during the COVID stuff, then it's not even going to matter. Hopefully, again, they nut up and say, no, we're going to move this to next season. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't foresee the NCAA nutting up on anything, um, <laughs> especially related to somebody like Jimbo. You know, if, if what we're seeing with you know, things that have happened recently is, is going to be the parameters that we see going forward, we're going to continue seeing these slaps on the wrist, especially for programs that have either high-profile high programs or high-profile coaches. Yeah. Now, the funny piece is this actually affects another program as well, and at least perception in some people's eyes. The primary guy that was implicated in this was Jay Graham. Jay Graham's moved over to Tennessee as their running backs coach now. <laughs> so it's one of these things people are like, oh, Tennessee's doing great recruiting. Well... Uh, <laughs> uh, so, and, and this year, he, listen to this crap, man. 247 coach rating. He's the number 15 recruiter in the country. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> is, is Tennessee about to have some flip season before uh, some other things start coming down? Potentially, man. Very much potentially. Um, it's just, it's funny you see this happen. And then one of, Again, Texas A&M recruiting really well. Tennessee recruiting, you know, top five right now. And it's one of those things where it's just kind of like, yeah, what are you going to do, Jeremy Pruitt? Because if if this is happening on your watch, you know, 
and and people again, I think it's the next program that gets busted with something like this is going to get more of the lash. Yeah. Right now, they've laid it down for for Texas A and M. It's whoever's busted next. The NCAA got scrutinized, got whipped, got thrown fire. Like, what are you doing? You did nothing. The next program is like a uh, three-year show cost penalty, postseason ban, and you can't coach for four years. Huh? Wait, but Jimbo. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 that's the thing. I mean, they're never going to drop the hammer on someone like Jimbo like that, um, which is, I mean, you know, it is what it is at this point. I think we come to expect it. Um, yeah. Anytime one of these major programs starts getting into some sort of trouble, it seems to kind of roll off their back a little bit. Um, you know, they'll get they'll, they'll, they'll get the, the cut, but they don't lose the limb. Exactly. And it's only a minor cut. It's like it's like our children falling down on pavement and skinning their knee. Oh, it hurt. OK, I'm good. You rub some dirt on it. Move along. Exactly. All right, Brian, this just broke a couple hours ago. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty big. It's it's one of those things. Basically, the Ivy League um, has ruled out playing all fall sports this fall due to the uh, corona pandemic. Um, and right now, no decision has been made about winter or spring sports um, or whether fall sports could be played in the spring of 2021. Now, They've already taken some measures. I don't think anybody sees this as a shock. So much of their stuff is going online. I'm sure you saw that over the last few weeks. I think, who was it, Harvard? Harvard. Everything's going to be online. Oh, cool. Tuition's going to decrease from the 47000 Nope. <laughs> Do you think this is impacting P5, G5, or is the Ivy League sort of just different? The, the Ivy League is definitely different, and the biggest thing is – the Ivy League doesn't really depend on any athletic revenue for the functioning of their athletic department. Um, obviously, it, it's cake. It helps. It, it's it's the bonus um, to help with the budget. But they would have most of these sports even if they didn't have fans in the stands and things like that. So they operate more in the same realm as like, you know, Division two, Division three, maybe even D one non scholarship schools like Davidson. Um, so I don't think that they're gonna that this is necessarily indicative of what we're gonna see for G five or Power five in the fall. Um, that said, the fact that anyone did it is definitely news and definitely could could be a precursor. Um, but I don't think it you know it's necessarily a you know tea leaf situation where because this happened some you know the the other shoe is going to fall there um but it's still it's still not good in terms of you know what how we feel about it i think i think it definitely probably brings us down a little bit because now that one's gone you know it makes it easier for others to say hey well maybe let's take a look at what they're doing yeah and and if you don't re- remember they were the first to cancel their um basketball tournament back yeah. in march um and then slowly the tea leaves Everything fell into place. That was a is a little bit different than it is now. The amount of knowledge about the coronavirus in March compared to the eighth of July, you know, almost four months later, is completely different. Yeah. At that point in time, people were thinking seven eight percent death rate. Well, 
No, it's it's about a one to a one and a half percent. Is that what you've been seeing? It's it's about about one one percent for kind of the healthy population and four to five percent for you know compromised or elderly. Yeah, and and it's even bigger on the elderly state. I mean, you know, you every I keep an eye on the site. It's like sixty. It's you know like at four and a half. You get into the seventies, it's like six and a half. You get into the eighties and older, you know, you're that where it really is affecting. Plus the immunocompromised folks. Um, but in but in reality, we're starting to know more about it. Um, and yeah, there are spikes. That sucks. Luckily, we're in a state that's not seeing a spike. We're actually seeing more downward trend. Um, so again, who knows? Uh, I, I do think, you know, some people are like, oh, this is it. This is it. Oh, my God. They're going to like, like y'all, y'all don't realize the amount of money, not only the, these athletic departments depend on, but the, the communities in these, the communities. Yeah. I mean, I, and I don't want to try to be doom and gloom, but if there was no college football season, certain Cities and towns, Blacksburg would be one of them. Blacksburg, think of a place like Tuscaloosa, um, you know, even a place like Greenville. They would get hit hard. And I mean, it, 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 that's a small, you know, very small percentage. But you imagine literally saying, well, we're going to cancel and lay depression on, you know, what, 100 cities? 100 cities or small cities and towns. Yeah. And that's kind of one of those ouch like do it do we do that um, you know because essentially that's kind of that's kind of what they're if they decide to cancel it, you're going to see a lot of businesses in these college towns go under sure and it's gonna i mean i hate to say it, but it's gonna disproportionately affect an area like blacksburg you know compared to somewhere like columbus 100 percent. even though they have you know almost double the fans at a given game than we do. Um, they, they have other things going on in their city that can buoy and at least carry them through. Whereas most of the, the town of Blacksburg depends on students being there and people coming in on Saturdays. Yep. And whether it be Saturday in the fall or Saturdays in the winter for a basketball game or a Friday night game. So hundred percent. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to move on and actually get to our topic today. We need to defend Lane Stadium. Boom. All right, so four four games versus the ACC, UVA, Georgia Tech, Boston College, and Miami. Brian, let's just start with them just down the road, 64. Let's start with UVA. They are returning seven starters on offense. Nine starters on defense. Um, I mean, Brian, who are they losing? Are they losing someone who literally carried them to at least three victories last year? Maybe more? Yeah, so uh, they are losing Bryce Perkins, their quarterback. No no big deal here, just the heart and soul of the offense and accounting for, you know, almost 4,500 yards of offense himself. Um, so he had three three thousand five hundred thirty yards uh, passing with twenty two touchdowns, added another seven hundred sixty nine rushing with eleven touchdowns. You know, second team All ACC got signed with the Rams as an undrafted free agent this year, so that's going to be the big big departure. 
But there's other big things going on there as well because a couple of guys that he was throwing that ball to are gone as well. Hasis Dubois, wide receiver, all ACC honorable mention, had 1,062 yards and six touchdowns last year. And uh, Joe Reed, the uh, wide receiver and uh, return specialist, um, made first-team All-ACC as an all-purpose kick returner, um, 796 return yards and two touchdowns, and added another 679 receiving. And he got picked up uh, by the Chargers as an undrafted free agent. So we're talking about uh, you know two guys there that are now in the NFL on, on rosters as of right now. Um, and that's just on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they lost a couple guys that, you know, you mentioned non-returning starters. The two guys they lost are pretty key as well. Uh, we're talking about Bryce Hall here. Um, obviously, he was missing most of the, well, at least the back half of the season yeah. last year. Um, but he was projected as a first rounder uh, even, you know, before all this injury took place. And he got injured against Miami. Uh, still ended up getting drafted by the Jets in the fifth round, and uh, he was second-team All-American in 2018. So this is a guy that potentially could have been a second- or third-round pick if he had went out um, last year and then ended up coming back and unfortunately getting injured and, and hurting his draft stock a little bit there. And the last guy I want to talk about is Jordan Mack. Um, he led the team in tackles uh, – sorry, led the team in sacks with uh, seven and a half and added 69 tackles, and he got picked up by the Panthers as an undrafted free agent. So, you know, I've got five guys here. Four of them are on NFL rosters right now. I'm sure Dubois is going to get picked up at some point. He's definitely got the hands and the size. I think speed is a concern. He doesn't quite have that NFL speed that you're looking at, but I think he might find his way on the roster depending on what the NFL season looks like as well. So those are the big guys they're going to be missing. Yeah, man. Um, you know, Perkins was that offense last year. People can say what they want. I watched clearly. I watched the Tech game. If he's not on the field, they lose by twenty points. Don't at me. The ODU game. If he doesn't do what he did in the latter half of that game, they lose to ODU last year. Yeah. Florida State. Again, late heroics in that game. They literally, it was they could have lost three games, one being a absolutely wretched loss to ODU because ODU was terrible last year. But Brian, as I kind of kind of scrolled through here and looking at their schedule last year, after Bryce Hall went down in that Miami game, they only let's see, they gave up 28 points to Louisville, 31 to UNC, 28 to Georgia Tech, 27 to Liberty, and then 30 to us. And then I'm not going to count the other two games. So we're on the first ones. They had given up 17. They gave up 35 to Notre Dame, but that's a little different. 17, 24, 17, 14, 10. Kind of a difference in the cadence there of how many points they gave up after Bryce Hall went down. Um, so they got to kind of live without him for a little while. But now, well, Mid-season, something like that happens. People don't know what you're doing until the tape slowly starts getting on there. Yeah. But now it's like, okay, we kind of know what you're going to do without a, a lockdown corner. I think that's a big loss. Um, and I think me and you've already kind of talked about it with them. If if they're going to make a bowl this year, they're going to win some rock fights, like 14-17, 14-13, because 
of losing that much on offense. Now, the recruiting classes, Brian, they had the last three years, they're okay. 58 in 2017, 59 in 2018, 39 in 2019. Um, I know they got some transfers. So who is the key guys coming back and then some of the emerging players? So in terms of returning key starters, um, first one I want to highlight is going to be the other receiver that was getting some of those balls thrown to him other than the two that are now um, no, now gone. So that's going to be uh, Terrell Janna, um, wide receiver. He's the only returning primary target from last season. Uh, he had a big second half of the season, um, especially when they had to start scoring some more points um, once Bryce Hall went down. So um, ended up with 886 yards receiving and three touchdowns. So pretty big numbers in terms of yards there for, you know, a second or third option. Um, but obviously you need to see his touchdowns go up if he's going to replace some of that production uh, that was lost. Um, Wayne Talapapa, uh, returning starting running back. I probably butchered that name, but you know, <laughs> sorry, Wayne, but it is what it is. Uh, 473 yards rushing, 12 touchdowns in 2019. Obviously, any running back last year was kind of a secondary option in terms of the running game. Uh, Bryce was the number one option in the running game. Um, just, you know, looking at that, the top rusher was outrushed almost double by the quarterback. Um, touchdowns are pretty good for him, though, with 12. So if he can replicate that production and add some more rushing yards, he could be a threat um, in 2020. Um, let's move to the defense, though. Uh Zane Zangier, he was the linebacker for them, led them, led the team with tackles 108 last year. Um, really did some big things for them because he could move um, across the field well and um, really make a lot of plays from that inside linebacker position. And the other guy is uh, Joey Blunt. Um, he was a safety, was third team all ACC in 2019. He had 95 combined tackles from the safety spot, so he was making some some plays in the running game, obviously, to get those numbers up. And he had four sacks and three interceptions as well. So, kind of a do-it-all player, not you know the most elite safety, but a guy that can really make plays in different ways and hurt you in different ways. So that that's going to be the big guys they have um, returning that were, were standouts last year. Yeah, now, they've got a lot of unknown, and I'll talk about that a little bit here in the. The biggest one is going to be, I'll kind of have them 1A and 1B here, is who's going to be their quarterback to replace the production of Bryce Perkins. Uh, the lead guy in that role is going to be Brennan Armstrong. Um, lefty, um, you know, he, not quite the dynamic runner that Perkins was, obviously, but, you know, bigger guy, kind of more of a, you know, Tim Tebow, Taysom Hill, kind of that hybrid player. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, he could potentially do some damage in that role. Um, definitely compares a little bit more to Taysom than to um, Tebow. And uh, still, still, you know, like most of those, the, both of those guys is still a raw thrower, but um, not quite as raw as Perkins was when he came to UVA initially. But again, you're not talking about the same degree of athleticism. Then you got Katyon Thompson, um, who the quarterback transfer from Mississippi State. Um, he's a better thrower than Perkins. Um, 
and probably as close to him in terms of athleticism and explosion with his legs. Um, the question being is, can he learn this offense fast enough and get up to speed before the start of the season, especially now that we're dealing with all this COVID stuff? And I know we're going to have an extended camp, but you know, here's here's a guy that probably could have used a little bit more time with the coaches, even if it was just getting mental reps than he's been able to get. So I think that's going to be key to whether or not he can pass Brennan there is can he pick up that offense fast enough? So that's going to be the big thing they need to replace. Um, Another thing they need to look at is their offensive line. They look good along the front. They've got seven guys that have all started games at the Power 5 level. They've got seven guys that have started at the Power 5 level. The problem is that's about all they have on scholarship. So One guy goes down – their quarterback's going to be – they're going to be putting, like, walk-on linemen out there. They're going to – their quarterback's going to get killed if they have a couple of just – not even, like, big injuries, just like, oh, you know, sprained his wrist, can't play for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like we've kind of had on the defensive line the last couple of years, they kind of feel pretty good about their their first line, but they're really kind of questionable in their depth. And – um, you know, they have got a grad transfer from Penn State, uh, Alex Gellerstedt. Um, he's, again, one of only seven guys that are on scholarship right now, and uh, they're going to need him to really step up and be a player um, if they're going to have any sort of success. Because right now they're pretty much rolling with the bare minimum scholarship players that you would like to have on an offensive line taking you on a road trip. <laughs> You'd prefer at least to have seven guys that you can depend on when you when you take a take a road trip. So they're going to be struggling for depth, but I think they really like their their front five and the the two guys, the two primary guys they have to rotate in. So defensive line is um, is another area where they're going to probably see some more um, production. Um, they really gelled late in the year at that position. I think they got better, especially I think they had to because of losing uh, Bryce Hall had to, had to produce more pressure. And the, the guy that was doing it was Jawan Biggs, who was a defensive lineman, uh, had a lot of time as a freshman there um, is going to need to take another step um, because he's going to be dependent on a little bit more. Uh, I think this year, again, kind of going back to the, some of the secondary uh, pieces they need to replace. But he had 19 tackles and some limited time in the back half of the season, uh, three tackles for loss and a sack. So if he can step in, they, they could be all right up front on the defensive side. Um, but those are the guys that I see as either, you know, key guys or guys that are going to step into major roles this year. Yeah, and I don't think you're wrong about any of them. Um, I see Jana. The only question I have, yeah, he had a good season last year. But how many guys were on Dubois and on Joe Reed every time they snapped the ball and on Bryce? He was almost a forgotten guy, and is it was that the reason he had such good statistics and came on late in the year, or is it because he's a good receiver? This year we'll find out if he continues to produce. Yeah, he's a good receiver. If his numbers drop off, you know, it's like, yeah, well, it doesn't hurt to have two guys who are looked at with the NFL. Um, the other two, the quarterback battle, I mean – to me, it's wide open. Yeah, Brennan's been there, but he didn't get the spring. I think if there had been a spring, Brennan Armstrong's their starter without even a question. Um, 
but then they go out and get to get Keonton Thompson, and it's almost like if they come in and they're equal, or Brennan's only a hair above, does Bronco just say, listen, we're not good enough offensively to have a system quarterback run it. We need the best athlete on the field to essentially kind of do what Bryce did. And Kentianta is a four-star uh, when he came out. So he definitely has some skill there. He was a top 10 dual threat quarterback. Um, so that's going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next, when we start camp in a few weeks here, where's that depth chart go? And is it also one of those things where, what if it starts rough? They got played Georgia. To begin with, yeah. I mean, it, it, it. You know, we don't want to crush anybody's confidence, but you know, coaching staffs don't want to do that. But Brendan Armstrong goes out there and looks like dog shit. Okay, we're just gonna put Keontae in, and what if he looks bad? Now, luckily, they don't have. You know, they do have some weaker opponents, but then they've got Clemson. Yeah. <laughs> just weeks after, you know. Or is it one of those things where Bronco is just going to say, whoever wins this camp battle, unless they get hurt, they're my guy. Because if not, I'm having to play with egos. I'm having to play with guys thinking about things um, as we do this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. All right, Brian, we good on uh, UVA? We're good on UVA. Did, uh, did they have any coaching changes up? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, they did. They actually lost this. Couple of significance. Thanks for saying that. Um, Vic Soto, who was their defensive line coach, you know, got the, the thing you said started gel at the end of the year. He not only got hired, he got hired by Blue Blood. He got hired by USC. Oh. That, that says a lot right there. Um, he's been replaced by Clint Symptom. Um, now, Soto also had a significant history with Mendenhall. This was the first player that ever committed to him when he took over BYU. So this wasn't like, some guy he found six years ago, and he's a really good line coach. This was a connection going back close to 15 years. That's a system devotee. There you go. <laughs> um, now, system comes over from Delaware. He'd been there for three years with Danny Rocco. Um, he was an All-American while he was at UVA. He did get drafted in the second round, and he did play in the league for three years. So familiarity with the school, NFL-type guy. So, But anytime you sort of see that fluctuation of movement, Brian, like, this guy didn't go to another – a slight tear up. He literally went to one of the top ten programs in the country. And I'm really interested to see how that D-line that played so well at the end of last year, if they're able to continue that because they're going to have to be that to get them into a bowl this year. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's move on with the rambling wreck from Georgia Tech. Uh the team returning the most production in the league this year. They're returning nine starters on offense. They're returning every single starter on defense, Brian. Um, when I say that, like, is there anybody uh, that they lost? I mean, <laughs> there's not, not many guys there. So I got a, I got a few guys here that uh, um, they did lose. Um, most of the – production is on offense they had two guys that were heavy contributors on defense that they lost that you know we will we'll take a look at but the big guy on offense is going to be Tyler Davis um, six round draft pick by the Jags he had 148 yards and a touchdown in 11 games in 2019 which isn't very impressive mm-hmm. but his skill set was unique he's kind of got a you know a, that joker um, 
type okay. build. Um, so with that unique skill set, definitely he was able to uh, you know, pivot that into a role in the NFL. Um, but obviously that's an offense that was really in a transition phase. So not very many of these offensive numbers are going to be impressive that I'm going to throw at you over the course of this time. So I wouldn't necessarily count the 148 and a, and a touchdown against good old Tyler Davis there. Um, but another guy that uh, was lost is going to be Jared Southers. He was an offensive tackle. Um, only played at Georgia Tech one year. He was uh, originally at Vanderbilt and transferred in. Um, but he was a guy that was able to help them move away from some of those triple option techniques and into more of a of a spread type system. And uh, he did have some draft buzz heading into the NFL draft this year, but he ultimately wasn't signed or picked up. Um, on the other side of the ball, uh, these are guys that you know started at at a at a point in the season. But uh, the big one here is uh, Brentavius Clanton. He was a three year starter. Um, did lose his position in the course of the season, got kind of usurped, um, registered one sack in 2019, kind of more of a, uh, a, a plotter. He was, he was there, he was clogging things up, but he didn't necessarily, you know, fill a stat sheet. And, uh, Christian Campbell is a safety. He had 44 tackles in 2019, kind of the, the, the first guy off the bench for them, uh, making some plays. Um, so those are the guys that they're going to be missing um, on offense and defense this year. Yeah, with the transition like this, when you mentioned stats, it, it really it really doesn't matter from what they were doing. Kind of like, you know, when I give these recruiting class ranks, does it really, like, does this jump out? Because, again, going from a triple option to, um, you know, the offense that they're running under Jeff Collins is a little different. I mean, they were 48th and 48th. At 2017, 44 in 2018, 50 in 2019. Um, you know, so not really super high, not even one really super high recruiting class. Um, and again, basing it towards a triple option, you know, who are some of their key guys, Brian, coming back that have to play better to improve the 3 9 record? So there's one guy I would say doesn't have to necessarily play better. I think he just needs to, you know, fill in more of what he was already doing in uh, in 2019. And that's Jordan Mason. Um, you know, with the with the smash mouth spread, he's going to be the guy that's going to be carrying the load for them. And uh, in 2019, he had 899 yards rushing and seven touchdowns. So pretty good numbers, especially for an offense that was pretty anemic across the board. The fact that they were pretty much able to stack the box against him. He was still able to get some production there, so that that's that's promising numbers, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that this year, um, partially because of some of the things I'm going to go into with the emerging talent. Um, but the guy that has to get better in 20, in 2020 is going to be James Graham. So he was a starter for most of the season last year, 1,164 yards passing and 12 touchdowns with seven interceptions. Again, those are not numbers that you really want to, you know, climb up on a mountain and say, look at this. Um, <laughs> they're, they're not great, especially for um, for the amount that uh, amount of starts and, and, and snaps that he had on the field. Um, he's going to have to take the next step because at some point they're going to have to throw the ball to get that that uh, that box cleared out a little bit. 
because they, they they want to run, but they can't run if you know everybody's in the box. And on the defensive side of the ball, uh, the big player is going to be David Curry. He had 97 tackles in 2019, definitely the emotional leader on the defense. So look for him to be a guy that's going to continue in that role and uh, and have a hopefully more productive year for them if if they want to take another step and maybe at least get somewhere in the in the bowl eligible range this year. Absolutely. Um, and Brian, you mentioned it with uh, to me. I, I, he's he's the guy I've got to. James Grant has to improve. If he doesn't improve, you know, they might have marginal improvement from three and nine to maybe four to five wins, but not to getting back into a bowl, not doubling their win total. Um, and when I hear you say smash mouth spread, um, I kind of think like, what is, what does that mean? And it's like, well, you know, Brent Key. He's an offensive lineman that is a offensive coordinator. So makes sense that he's probably, again, trying to leverage, I'm guessing, a lot of spacing to say, we're going to run at you, but we're going to do it in unique ways. So, um, yeah, you're going to think a little bit little bit of what Ohio State does. I mean, that, that's kind of the <laughs> – oh, <laughs> I mean, In terms cool. of philosophy, what Ohio State does, that's kind okay. of what you're going to see here. Um, lots, of, lots of run game and – an option, um, but you'll see you'll see them sling the ball around a little a, a little bit as well. But they're definitely a run first spread team. Yeah. All right. Well, Brian, I, I've already said it. They're going to have to get better. James Graham's going to have to get better. Who are some of the other guys that are emerging that for this team to go from a three win team to potentially six, making it back to a bowl? Who has to be some of their emerging talent? So the big thing is going to be, again, improving that offensive line and getting an offensive line that is more built for this smash mouth spread over some of those undersized, mostly run blocking only players that they had under the, the triple option. Um, so it's going to start with getting a guy like Kenny Cooper back on the field. Um, he was he was center. He was missed most of 2019 with an injury for them. Um, so he's going to need to step up, especially with his pass pro, because he is still a legacy player. So that's not his strong suit. Um, but he's, he's a very good run blocker, and he was good for them in terms of communicating with the offensive line back in 2018. So I think they'll really appreciate having him back in that role. And apparently he's, based on what I've read, has shown some promise with the pass pro. So hopefully that uh, that translates for them. Um they also added Ryan Johnson as a grad transfer from Tennessee. So you're coming from a blue blood, or at least a, from a recruiting perspective, a blue blood program here. Um, you know, definitely going to have that build that they're looking for to kind of step in uh, more of the larger um, and taller offensive linemen versus some of the guys that they they had uh, previously under Johnson. And when we move to the defensive side, the, the big two names that I kept seeing um, – was uh, the, well, the big name that I was seeing was Antonius Clayton, um, defensive end uh, transfer from Florida, sat out all of 2019. Um, but this guy was a pretty highly rated uh, player coming out of high school and just couldn't quite find a spot in the Florida rotation. Um, but now with, with Georgia Tech, he's looking to probably make some noise being the, their primary pass rusher uh, going into 2020. Um, and the last guy that I wanted to, to highlight here, is a, a wide receiver um, and a freshman at that. So 
Um, when we talk about wide receivers with um, their previous offensive uh, play style, they were more block first guys. They they were they were pretty much brought in to block, and when they got in long down situations, run some go routes and catch balls that are just thrown up in the air. Um, <laughs> Not exactly a crazy route tree or developmental, you know. No, no, no. It's very much can can you run go routes and can you out jump guys, um, <laughs> and then can you block? So. This is more of the wide receiver that they're going to look for in their their new philosophy. And uh, here's a big stat for you. He tied Calvin Johnson's freshman receiving touchdown record with seven. So okay. out the gate, um, think about it. Graham only had 12 touchdowns the whole season. <laughs> <laughs> seven of them went to this guy. So he's, he's, he's going to look to build upon that in terms of getting the yardage numbers up to that's what they need to do across the board. But we know this guy can make plays and get in the end zone. So um, those are the guys that are looking to probably take the next step this season. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned Antonius Clayton. He was a pretty high guy coming out. I mean, he was a four-star. He was a top 50 player when he committed to Florida back under back in 2016. That's when McElwain was the head coach. But clearly there was a connection there with Jeff Collins. Jeff Collins was the defensive coordinator at that point in time. So one of those things at a program like Florida, if you don't get yourself to the top of the depth chart pretty quick, even being a high four, even five-star guys, you you can get supplanted pretty quick because there's more four- and five-star guys coming to those type programs. The opportunity to develop just isn't there. Um, so he has the connection with Collins. He's a talented player. Um, especially coming out of high school. And I, I really think in the second year of the um, transition from the triple option, they're going to have to lean on their defense more. I mean, I, to, to win more games, they have to, because that offense isn't going to be there yet. I think it's, as we've seen from the past, going from a, a, an option-based offense to more – whether it be spread or whether it be a pro style, it takes minimum three years to get your bearings straight. Um, now, Brian, how about this? The Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets had no coaching changes. Oh. Um, but is it a shock with the guy, again, with that transition in his second year um, after three and nine? I, I mean, is that shocking? No, because you don't have anyone really taking the next step because they didn't do enough in year one for guys to be able to jump ship like that. And also, I think in year one, we haven't gotten to a point where I think they've evaluated enough to see who on that staff isn't quite cutting cutting the mustard yet. So um, both things are kind of playing against them there. So that, that's why you're not seeing any sort of turnover because they just didn't have enough talent across the board to really have guys that were – marketable to other teams and they I don't think they've seen enough especially with the fact that they're still turning over the roster to tell whether you know it's a coaching problem or a or a you know player problem recruiting problem or anything like that so um, time will tell I think we might see more movement on that front after this year um, as you know you get a class or two under your belt and you start seeing as guys are making more, better plays on the field, are you seeing some shortcomings in terms of um, you know those coaching aspects? Yes, sir. All right. Well, let's go on up. Let's get Boston College done here. 
Um, returning seven players on offense, nine on defense. Um, but there is a really big hole on that offense now, Brian. Giant, huge, 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 huge hole. Uh, and we're talking about A.J. Dillon, um, drafted by the Packers in the second round, 1,685 yards and 14 touchdowns in 2019. Had another 195 receiving yards and a touchdown in 2019. So, you know, always considered more of a, you know, pounding between the tackles back, but he definitely showed a little versatility last year. Um, and I think that's what helped him get drafted as high as he did. Um, three-time first-team All-ACC. Third-team All-American in 2019. I mean, th- this is about as you know, stacked as you can get at the running back position in terms of accolades, um, especially for a team that wasn't very good last year. Um, they beat us, but they weren't very good. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Um, that is... They also, you know, they, they don't have Anthony Brown anymore. So he had 1,200 yards passing and nine touchdowns um, through just over five games last year before getting injured against Louisville. Um, and he decided to transfer away from Boston College after the uh, the change in regime. Um, so those are going to be the two big things that they're missing um, on offense. Um, and I think that's going to be whether they can replace those pieces long term is going to be the question as to whether whether they can take another step or if they are stuck at that five to seven win window that we've kind of seen them at the last several years. Absolutely. And you mentioned Anthony Brown transferring. Um, he didn't take a step down, dude. He actually went a step up into here. He transferred to Oregon. Yeah. Um, in Oregon, losing Herbert, clearly he has a potential opportunity to play out there because, you know, the two years we saw him with VT, Anthony Brown's a solid collegiate quarterback. Um, and, again, regime changes. You know, if you can get out, Sometimes you have to, and for him, he took a significant upgrade. Um, now, what the new coaching staff there isn't really working with is great recruiting classes. 2017, 67, 2018, 71, 2019, 64. Um, but, you know, with the prior regime that was there, sometimes stars didn't matter. They were finding diamonds in the rough, really good offensive and defensive linemen. Um, anybody of these really sub 60 recruiting classes that you feel are got to be key to uh, Boston college potentially getting back to six wins under a new regime or even taking a step. Yeah. So like you were talking about, I mean, they've really gone for more scheme fits and things like that um, on their recruiting classes. So, I mean, obviously they wanted to get as high caliber players as they could, but they were definitely, prioritizing those scheme fits and the guy that really fits right into what they were doing previously is um, the guy that's going to be stepping in for AJ Dillon this year. And that's David Bailey, another big bulldozing back six, one, two forty. Um, had 844 yards rushing and seven touchdowns last year behind a guy that had almost 1700 yards rushing. <laughs> they like to run the ball. They ran the ball a little bit. <laughs> so, I mean, they're going to look to him to be, be the, uh, the primary guy this year at the running back position. Um, it sounds like what they're going with is still going to be uh, a run first offense. I don't think they're going to be reinventing, um, 
that part of the philosophy, but it's definitely going to be a different system in terms of how they get that done. Another guy that we're going to look at as far as keeping that train rolling is going to be Tyler Vrabel. Um, he's their returning tackle. He's going to have a potential to be a high round draft pick in 21. Um, they've got both of their tackles coming back, but I think Vrabel's got the little bit more of the, the higher ceiling of the two. So um, that's the guy I wanted to spotlight here. Um, another guy that they're happy to get back uh, who was injured towards the end of the season is Max Richardson. I think he got banged up in the last couple games of the season, um, but he was still all ACC second team in 2019, had 108 tackles, 14 and a half tackles for loss and three and a half sacks. So again, big contributor on defense and he's, he came, he decided to come back for a senior year um, despite the regime change because he felt like there was still some unfinished business for them. Um, so that's going to be their theme is going to be unfinished business. Uh, <laughs> We'll see if we'll see if they're able to do something with that, but uh, yeah, they uh, they're returning some other guys as well. So the, another big one on offense is going to be Hunter Long. Um, he was a tight end for them, third team All ACC, 464 yards receiving and two touchdowns, which is pretty good numbers in a run first offense, especially for a tight end. Yeah, he actually led the, the team in receiving yards. Oh wow. <laughs> So de- definitely a, a very run-first uh, oriented team. And uh, the last one's going to be uh, Brandon Sebastian. So he started all 12 games, had a pick last year, um, was kind of their lockdown guy. He was not necessarily at elite level, but he was a guy that could match up against the number one on another team and you know, definitely push them and give them a run for their money. So he's going to look to maybe take another step for them this year. Yeah. Um, first of all, Tyler Vrabel, that is the son of former New England Patriots, current Tennessee Titans head coach Mike Vrabel. Um, and we talk about diamonds in the rough. He was a three-star coming out. And just what you just mentioned, he has the potential to be a lot of a, a pretty high draft pick next year. Um, David Bailey, three-star, um, you know, out of Maryland. He, he has the build, six foot and a half, 225 pounds. Um, now, you, you know, you mentioned his stat line last year behind Dylan, but now he's going to get the bulk of the carries. His frame's built. So, you know, you, you kind of don't worry about it where when we talked about a couple of the guys, like for Louisville last time, their build is like, can you take this pounding? You see this guy, you definitely feel like he could. Now, yeah. Brian, under a new regime, they, you know, there's, more transfers and stuff happened. Who are some of the guys that emerged that could potentially a keep them as a bowl team, potentially catapult them to a higher, to a better record next year? So the big name is going to be uh, Phil Jakovic, uh, the transfer from Notre Dame quarterback. Set behind Ian Book, now he's uh, going to be playing quarterback for uh, Boston College. The question here is going to be is he going to get the waiver to play in 2020? Hmm. Um, he will require a waiver to, be, to become eligible for 2020. So that's going to be uh, big in terms of their success. But if he does get that waiver, he is going to be a plug and play start for them. Um, pivoting off of that, if that doesn't go their way, um, Dennis Garcelle, who was the quarterback for the rest of the season last year, um, after Anthony Brown went down, 
um, is probably going to be the guy that's going to step into that uh, quarterback role again this year. Played in 12 games and started six, had uh, 896 yards passing and nine touchdowns. Um, the question is going to be is, you know, having a full camp, is that going to be enough for him to be able to step in that role and do a little bit more than he did last year in a, in a more spell and um, unfortunate situation closing out the year? And then we got two other guys that are going to be um, pretty big in terms of whether or not BC has some success. And the big one's going to be is Kobe White. He's the wide receiver. He actually initially entered the transfer portal when the coaching change was coming through there, um, but decided to return to Boston College and kind of see how things go. Um, he had 434 yards receiving and five touchdowns in 2019. So he was kind of the, the number two target in the offense. Again, those low numbers might might go up depending on what happens with, uh, with the quarterback position. Um, so we'll see. Um, and then Isaiah McDuffie is the other one. Um, he was trending towards being a playmaker before missing uh, most of the 2019 season with an injury. He's going to be very key in terms of whether or not they can bounce back um, and have some success this year. Yeah. Well, Djokovic is, is the key. It, it, it's not even a question um, if he can get his waiver or not. But again, being in the first year of a new regime, it doesn't hurt if he doesn't get it because he'll be there next year. Um, he was a four-star, um, a top 120 prospect when he came out in 2018. So he definitely got the recruiting credentials. And again, what happens so many times with programs, like the Blue Bloods we discussed today, you go there, you don't get the job, now books and trench. Well, I need to go somewhere else and try to find something. So I think that's the key. Now, Brian, clearly there were a ton of changes to BC. They fired Steven Dazio um, after the six and six season, and they hired Jeff Halfley. Um, Halfley comes from Ohio State. He was only there one season as a co-defensive coordinator. Prior to that, he had spent six seasons as a secondary coach in the NFL for the 49ers, the Browns, and the Bucks. Um, and he had collegiately coached since 2001 before that, including at Pitt and Rutgers, so kind of up in that northeast territory. A um, couple of his three hires. The first is Frank Signetti. Um, Signetti had been in the league from 2012 to 2018. Primarily as a quarterback's coach, he did spend one season in 2015 as the Rams offensive coordinator. Last time he played, well, last time he coached was 2018 with the Packers. Now, he did have some collegiate stops on that. Um, the most notable for Virginia Tech would be when he was uh, the offensive coordinator at UNC in 2006, where we beat him 35-10. Again, NFL guy. You're looking at a pro-style offense, so not much of a transition probably for, you know, the offense in a lot of ways. Um, now, as experienced as he is, um, the new defensive coordinator, this is his first defensive coordinating job at any level of football. Wow. Um, what did he do before? Um, well, Team Lacoba, he had uh, – He'd done some uh, basically linebacker coaching, most notably 2018 with Mississippi State under Joe Moorhead. And then he was in the league with the Bengals in 2019. Um, he had also spent some time with Halfley when he was with the 49ers. 
Um, so he has a connection there. But overall, like, you know, this is pretty big. But, again, you've got a head coach who's a fire defensive coordinator. How much is bringing in some like Signetti who has done it numerous times where it's just like, listen, you focus on that. I'm going to help him get used to um, what he needs to do, prepping and all this. So maybe it should be he could be a coordinator coordinator along with Tackley, but we'll see. Um, the one thing he did do is he did retain Rich Gannell, who is the uh, wide receiver coach under Adazio. Uh, he did serve as an interim head coach during the bowl game um, after Adazio's firing. And now he's going to be a running back coach. He had been on the staff since 2016. I think that's a good move. You keep a hold of the prior regime. Again, it's a prior regime that really – it wasn't bad. So it's one of those things where it probably helps the new staff get to know the guys quicker and all that. Um, I like it. But, I mean, you kind of see and you see it's a change. Would you be shocked if they went 6-6 six, six, six again, Brian? No. no. Probably not. Not at all. So, yeah. All right. Well, Brian, last but not least. All right. The Miami Hurricane. Heard that song today. Well, I you from back in the day. Um, returning seven offensive starters. Four defensive starters. They definitely were a really good defensive team last year. And I have a feeling, Brian, when you go through this uh, key departures, we might have a few uh, defensive players. But who are some of the key guys that uh, are gone from Miami's roster this year? All right, so we're going to kind of be – the highlight's going to be skill position players and defensive players. (laughs) That's what they lost. So the big one is – one of the big ones is going to be K.J. Osborne. Okay. Um, wide receiver had 50 catches and 547 yards um, last season. He actually got picked in the fifth round by Minnesota, so you got a draft pick right out the gate here. Um, definitely showed more potential than his stat sheet was, but a lot of that had to do with the fact that there was inconsistent quarterback play and horrid offensive line play from Miami last year. <laughs> so that's that's the big thing there. Um, another one, we got a wide receiver, Jeff Thomas, um, speedster, kind of more of a uh, down-the-field threat. He was picked up by the New England Patriots as an undrafted free agent. Um, so both, you know, two key wide receivers are gone for them. Um, and I'll go ahead and highlight the other um, skill position player on offense, and that's DJ Dallas. Um, running back for them last year, got picked by the Seahawks in the fourth round. Again, not impressive numbers, good numbers, not great numbers, 693 yards rushing and eight touchdowns in 2019. But again, he was playing behind a pretty bad offensive line last season. And so that that's, that's the big thing that, uh, you know, they're going to look to improve this year, I think, is trying to shore up that offensive line. But those are the skill position guys they're, li- they're losing. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, three – Big-time players are the guys I'm going to highlight here. The, the first one being Jonathan Garvin, uh, defensive end and outside linebacker, drafted in the seventh round by the Packers. Um, he did see his playing time diminish at the end of 2019, but he still tallied some good numbers and had some big plays. But uh, there was a reason for that that we're going to get to later. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, the next guy I'm going to highlight is going to be Trajan Brandy's. Um, 
All-ACC honorable mention corner. Uh, he, he did play corner and safety while he was at Miami, but finished his career as a corner and was actually picked up by the Steelers as an undrafted free agent. So you know, NFL caliber talent there that they're missing on that side of the ball this year. And the last guy, um, big one here, Shaq Quarterman. Oh, yeah. Fourth round draft pick by the Jags, four-year starter at linebacker for them. Two-time first-team All-ACC, 107 tackles and 15 tackles for loss in 2019. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you, you start mentioning those defensive players. And, I mean, again, that offense last year was not a good offense. That defense was good. Yeah. So, placing that much talent um, – where do they finish this year? Who knows? Now, clearly, it's Miami. They always recruit well. 2017, number 12-ranked class. 2018, a top-10 class. 2019, a 27th-ranked class. So a lot of talent still there with them. Um, but, and they, Brian, they, they've got a lot to replace, especially on defense. And, again, some very productive. Jeff Thomas, even though he didn't produce, that dude – has speed. If nothing else, it made your safeties play further back off the line, which could open things up. But who are some of the key guys coming back? So I'll start with the the first one. And there's uh, again, I said there was a reason why you know, Jonathan Garvin saw some of his uh, snap count go down in 2019. Well, the reason for that is that uh, Gregory Rousseau became that dude. <laughs> so red shirt freshman. Didn't even start. He wasn't a starter at the beginning of the season, but just blasted on the scene in 2019 and finished um, with uh, 15 and a half sacks as a as a redshirt freshman. Um, that was second in the country in terms of total sacks, only behind Chase Young. <laughs> the number two pick in the draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no big deal at all there. Um, and he was also uh, named ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year for uh, for those numbers. Um, so if there's any improvement by this guy, you better look the hell out because that's going to be a, a monster to uh, to contain on on defense there. Another key defensive guy they've got coming back is going to be DJ Ivy. Um, he actually led the team in picks at cornerback last year with three, and he's going to be looking to move into more of that alpha dog in the secondary role. Um, now that Bandy has departed in the uh, in the draft there. And st- staying on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Gervin Hall Jr., uh, safety. He had 66 tackles last year, forced fumble and interception. Um, really known as kind of an in-the-box guy, really good tackler in the open field. Um, he's going to be key for their, that defense to really, you know, continue their, their trajectory and uh, and stay at the top of their game because – it's going to be interesting to see what happens on the offensive side of the ball, especially with offensive line. But in terms of what they've got coming back there, the big one is Navon Donaldson Sr. Um, he's their guard coming back. Uh, really their only rock-solid starter um, all season last year. And he's going to be key um, to get that offensive going, especially the fact that they've got a new quarterback that's going to be playing this year. And they got to keep him healthy because he's going to be running the ball a lot more than uh, than what they were doing last year. Yeah, you mentioned it's kind of a scary thing when you're talking about a new quarterback, some new systems, which I'll touch on later, but you have one good starter on the offensive line coming back. I mean, you know, 
uh, you know, and Donaldson started his own right, you know, top hundred player, superstar, hometown guy. So, um, you know, ugh. but you already kind of you already kind of laid the groundwork. Go ahead. Who has got to be the emerging talent? You know? Well, the guy that has to step up if they're going to have any success on offense, other than the offensive line, is going to be their new quarterback, Derek King. Um, transfer from Houston. He was a complete force there. Um, while he was in Houston, 4,925 yards passing and 50 touchdowns against 10 picks. Ran for another 1421 and 28 touchdowns. 34 total games. So if you do the math there, you're looking at some pretty damn good numbers oh, yeah. at the quarterback position. Um, and that's going to be big for Miami because, again, their offense was pretty atrocious last year. Um, again, inconsistent quarterback play. Some of that was on the offensive line and some of that was just inconsistent play across the board. So, um, he's going to be the, the key, um, for that offense and to help out there, they're going to need a guy like Zion Nelson, their left tackle to take another step. Now, uh, this is a guy that was kind of thrown to the wolves last year. Um, true freshman. Hey, you're going to be starting left tackle. Have fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> And there were some growing pains to start the season, but he kind of closed things out pretty well. So, you know, numbers-wise, in terms of how we were great offensive line, not good in terms of average score, but had some good numbers in, ter in terms of how you would grade them as the season closed out there. So those are the big guys there. Um, also on the offensive side, uh, Cameron Harris. Um, he's going to be looking to uh, – be kind of that 1A running back. They're probably going to have a shared backfield, but he's going to be the 1A guy. Um, he's going to get some help because King is going to be carrying the ball a lot more than uh, than they have in the past. So you're going to get a little bit of help there because there's going to be some option elements there and a threat for the quarterback to take off. So I think he's going to have a little bit of a, of a better alley just by default, even if the offensive line isn't significantly improved. And let's go to the uh, the defensive side of the ball. And this one's going to sting, guys. Ooh. Quincy Roche, transfer from Temple. He was hours from being a Hokie. Hours. Damn admissions. <laughs> I think, I, I mean, I think admissions kind of screwed the pooch again, but I think there was also a big lack of communication there as well. So... I'm not going to place blame on the kid. It is what it is, but he was hours from becoming a Hokie and then wasn't. So it is what it is, but he's going to be a big time contributor on that defensive line and is going to really be looked at to kind of step in and, and take over, you know, some of the role opposite uh, Gregory Rousseau. Um, but that's going to be a, a really hard to handle two headed monster at defensive end there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the Nelson kid getting thrown into the fire as a freshman, well, it happens sometimes. You usually don't see it happen when teams are as well as Miami. And, and De'Eric King, well, he made his choice. And, Ron, with what they happened in the coaching staff, it kind of all made sense. You know, first of all, Manny Diaz has been there one season. He's already on the hot seat. He was one of the coaches Dennis Dodd wrote about today as he's got to get his shit in order or he can be fired after this year. He already jumped and went ahead and said, we're, we're changing things completely. So he yeah. fired Danny Nost and he hired Rhett 
Lash, Rhett and Lashley coming out of SMU where he was under Sonny Dykes. That's Air Raid 101. Oh, yeah. Now, along with that, clearly they made, you know, changes to the offensive line. Garvin Justice comes over from UNLV. Guy actually had been a pretty successful D2 head coach at Concord. But that wasn't the last change they made. They then made um, their, their wide receiver coach, Taylor Starfield, took a job at Penn State. Um, now, Rob Likens, who was under him over at ASU, he comes over. He was actually the offensive coordinator quarterback coach there. Now, again, Likens comes from that Sonny Dykes tree where he was with him at Cal and Louisiana Tech. So they're going air raid. Now, I'm going to ask you this, Brian. Danny Nose was a pro-style coordinator. The old offensive line coach, clearly probably more of a pro-style offensive line coach. I mean, they're going 180, going air raid. You kind of had to deal with this transitioning from high school to college. Tell me, is it going to be easier, or is De'Aaron King just going to run for his life for them to win games? I think there's going to be some of that. You know, the biggest jump is going to be a complete change in terminology and verbiage for offensive line calls, playbook, every, everything. So that's going to be the biggest thing for, you know, five to seven guys to pick up and gel, especially with the COVID situation we're dealing with where they've had some limited off season to work on those things and uh, kind of get those some of those mental reps and all the spring reps in place. So that's going to be key. And again, changing the philosophy, you know, there's some guys that are more built to, you know, put their hand in the dirt and just maul guys over. And this is going to be a little bit of a more finesse type offense. Um, It's not something that's going to be a a smooth transition for everybody. I think anybody that has pretty decent, uh, you know, pass set, and has had some experience in these spread type offenses, probably at high school level, which is primarily running spread now. Um, probably won't have as hard of a transition as as some other guys, but it's going to be a, I think, a, a learning curve for them, and it might take them a few games to really um, see that offensive line gel if it ever does. Got you, man. Well, we shall see. It's just kind of funny. Diaz is on the hot seat. Um, and look, I mean, what, what saves his job? Does he have to win the Coastal? Does he have to win 10 games, even if he doesn't win the Coastal? Or is it, you know, marginal improvement because now he can at least say, listen, we're trying to change the culture offensively here from what we've done for years. It's pro-style, kind of go air-raid spread. You know, is, 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 is this just his thing to say, maybe I can give myself two more years if I say, hey, we're changing offensive philosophy, you've got to give me a few years before I can turn it up. Yeah, I think that, you know, this is a case of good recruiting working against him. Because when you have good recruits and you're still only winning, you know, six to eight games, Mm. you know, people start asking a lot more questions. Uh, True. What what are you doing to not translate this talent to the field? Um, I think he probably, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm no Miami apologist by any means, but I think he was probably raked over the coals a little harder than he should be in year one, especially following the caliber of coach he was following. 
at the same time, you know, when you've got talent, you gotta, you gotta put out some, something better than six wins. And they had the talent and it just, it just never quite gelled the way they wanted to. But I think going air raid is going to help them on several fronts. Uh, one air raid takes out some of the stress on the offensive line. The ball's getting snapped and it's getting out of the quarterback's hands quicker. And the playmakers are responsible for getting the yards after the catch and getting the ball downfield. So that's going to take some pressure off, off the offensive line. You're going to probably see more zone type um, blocking schemes versus man on man or, or gap style coverage, gap style protection. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they go with that. But uh, yeah, usually with those air raid systems, it's a zone or some sort of slide protection um, they're only going hat on hat for five and seven step drops. Anything that's a three step, they're just taking a gap or taking an area and trying to stop the guy before the ball gets out. Got it, man. All right, so that closes the chapter on the teams that we'll be protecting lane this year. John, I'm gonna ask you of these four opponents, based on the time of year we play them, it makes you most nervous. Oh man, um, most nervous. I'm gonna have to go with Miami just because of having King at quarterback and the fact that they are a good defense, and I think they're gonna be kind of still in that same um, same level just because of the guys they've got coming back and some of the freshmen that we saw um, making some big moves um, last year. So, you know, they always are a team that. You know, with the rivalry, it can go either way, and some of the unknown factor gives me a little bit of pause. But I, I think if if they're the same Miami we've seen the last few years, I don't I don't think they're going to be as much of a problem. But that unknown factor is just giving me some pause. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I think Miami too is the one to worry about. Not only because we don't get them early. I mean, they are the eleventh game of twelve in the schedule, so. If they do start gelling, they do have the talent. They do have to come to lane, but, you know, if it's a half full or quarter full lane, you know, yeah, you know, I an advantage for us, but it's just one of those things. But uh, I'm with you on Miami, man. Brian, is there anything else we need to uh, hit? Did anything break while we were uh, sitting here recording on a wonderful uh, Wednesday night? I didn't see anything come through, buddy. All right. So that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe for your podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify and Apple Podcast. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okay.